Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Kanan Rasia. And we're going to talk to him about his role in the Army, where he is Sergeant Kanan Rasia. And that's just kind of the hook to get started. But mainly, we just want to talk to him because he's a fascinating person, Kanan Rasia. Thank you so much for being here as my guest today. I love you, Teresa. I'm glad to be here. Well, um, what an honor for you to say that. I met you, of course, when you were a student at Emory Henry College. And so I know a little bit about your history, just enough to be dangerous. But I decided that everybody needs to know your story because you have so much to tell. The first thing is, how did you come to Emory and Henry College? I mean, I'm not under oath, but okay, sure, let's go. I applied to school in April of my senior year because I had applied to the Air Force and my father had violently physically told me I shouldn't do that. So I applied and I got a full ride to Emory and George Mason. And I said, I don't want to go to a school that has, you know, four times the size of my high school population. Let's go to something that's closer to my high school population. So I went there. I got a relatively full ride to Emory for biology. Dr. Tavener, love you. I met um, Mark Davis, who was the musical... uh, Well, director of the choir... Yes, but he was also the director of my high school girlfriend. And so I met him and we were on the other side of the railroad tracks. And I was calling back to my friends to say, hey, you know, take my step inside. It's going to rain. And they couldn't hear me. And so I opened my voice up and he was like, oh, have you considered joining choir? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. So you were a singer. You were a singer already. Oh, I, I have always been since I was six. Sing, dance choir, theater, light, sound, all of it. Yeah. Well, you said you applied from high school, but where were you in high school? Because high school in Charlottesville, you were in Charlottesville. Were you, were you born in the United States? No, not at all. All right. So that's where we, we got to go back to there. Where were you born? (laughs) And if Singapore, Singapore, which has four national languages, English, Bahasa Malayu, Mandarin, and Mandarin. Sorry, no. Bahasa uh, Mandarin, and... Um, and some other one. Standby, thinking. English, Bahasa Mandarin. Mandarin, and I don't know. Tamil. We got, what? My first language. Tamil. Tamil. One of the 536 dialects of India. All right, 536 dialects of India. Singapore is an island, isn't it? Yes. It was the biggest seaport and airport of the world at some point. So when you were a child, you were growing up in Singapore. I never grew up. I just got taller. All right. But you were beginning your process of getting taller in Singapore. Absolutely. Now, is it true, Conan, that your family is of royal descent? Yes. Tell me that story. So my dad's mom is 104 right now. Her grandfather was the last king of Sri Lanka. They left Sri Lanka because they were being targeted by people there who wanted to use them for political gain. So they left. So one of the reasons I actually ended up at Emory is because Carter, Carter Moore. Another student. I got access to my essay saying I wanted to come to Emory because of my grandmother 
and then approached me a week after I got there and said, hey, aren't you that guy who's like grandparents, grandparents are like royalty? And I was like, oh, boy. No. So you're you're made. Everybody knows you now. The word is out that you're of royal descent. They knew that back then. But again, that was like 2003. That was a long time ago. So you graduated in what year from Emory and Henry? 2010. I spent okay, seven, we're, we're going to have to move fast on this conversation because because uh, you got a lot to tell and time is going by too fast. Again, it was your dad's mom who was how was it that it was your grandparents? Tell us that part again, your grandparents. So my dad's mom's grandparent was the last king of Sri Lanka. Okay. And where exactly is Sri Lanka? It's a small island south of India. You and islands seem yeah. to be compatible. Oh, Sri yeah, Lanka that. and Singapore. Sri Lanka, Singapore, Australia, Jakarta, Bali. Yeah. No. We do All of that. And you wind up at Emory and Henry College. I wound up there at it's a fluke of it's a fluke of luck. Yeah. Do you have any regrets? No. That's Everything what I think. That I've ever been through has made me into what I am. And what I am is someone who cares for people. So I'm good. And you found a home at Emory and Henry. Absolutely. Because people cared for you the way you care for other people. Uh, close to, but yes, yes. I remember I think when I met you was when I was working with the television program and the uh-huh. students interviewed you and you didn't do the, the, your cultural dance. I don't think, but you had pictures of it. I did my cultural dance at Wiley twice. My aunt came and did it with me once. Who was the, who was the artistic director at that point in time? Oh, I don't know. Kanan. We can't, we, we Anita can't. Coulter. Anita Anita Coulter. Coulter. Your great grandparents were, run out of Sri Lanka? It was either stay there and possibly be used for, um, possibly used to further someone else's ideas or just get murdered there. So so, so the choice is clear, get out. And is that when yeah, you went absolutely. to Singapore after that? Well, I, I was born way after that, but my grandparents... And my family either moved to England or Toronto or Singapore. And that was it. If you look at the, if you look at the statistics, the majority of people who are Sri Lankan after the diaspora live in either Singapore, Toronto, or DC. And you wound up in Charlottesville somehow. Can you give us the quick version of how that happened? <laughs> Absolutely. My grandmother was a person who was taking care of a 513C um, nonprofit, and it's called Yogaville. It is a very religiously open area in Virginia, and she ran a nonprofit dance and music consortium there, and I came there to visit her in 94 and never really left. That's how you got to Virginia, visiting your grandmother who had come there earlier. We came there on, on a summer vacation. How do you describe your nationality? Is that Indian? Are you Indian? I am Sri Lankan. My Sri family, Lankan. I am Sri Lankan. I was born in Singapore. 
Um, I lived in Singapore, again, England, Australia, Indonesia, and the U.S. And I was lucky enough to cross paths with you and lucky enough no, to introduce. No, I was lucky enough to cross paths with you. <laughs> you are such a flatterer, I'm telling you. But anyway, we were lucky to meet <laughs> each other. And we are lucky, the audience is lucky to be able to hear your story. You graduated, you said you came here to study science, but when you graduated, you joined the army. What happened so that that, that was the path? So I graduated in 2010, but during college, Casey Harden and I became friends because we used to climb together. And Casey said, my uncle is a martial artist. Would you like to meet him? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I met him and we started going to work out together and he taught me something I'd never been taught before. Everything I ever taught me to work was, was if somebody wants to hurt you, you give them three chances. They, they get three chances. And after that, then you can drop them. And he's kind of like the turn the other cheek thing in Christianity. Right. Absolutely. Yes. But he said, if they make you feel uncomfortable and they make you feel like they're going to hurt you, drop them. And so during college, I worked with him and I taught for him. And I had to understand the concept that being a dark person, being a colored person in America means you have to either decide if you're going to be proactively aggressive or not. And at least you had you wanted to learn the skills to be aggressive oh, I if you had needed the skills. To. That wasn't the issue. The issue was I felt bad if I had to use them. But then you learned that there may be times when you should use them. Exactly. And so I remember vividly a moment. I was in Piney Flats. I was at a gas station driving a military vehicle. I was in full military, like dress uniform. And someone pulled up and said things that I probably shouldn't say on this podcast. Say it. He called me a sand nigger. And he pulled up and said, why the f*** are you here? Are you a sand nigger? And I was like, have you looked at a globe? Like, have you looked at a globe? I'm not from an area that's full of sand. I'm obviously not someone you can call that N-word. Seriously, what is your absolute malfunction? And that was two weeks after my boss had said, you're going to go to Irwin. Do you carry a gun? And I said, I can. I said, okay, do it. And I went there. I went to a gas station. I went to the bathroom. There was a Nazi symbol on the toilet paper roll. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, you know what? He was right. I probably shouldn't be here without a gun. Conan, so what you're learning here, and it sounds like it's kind of at a late date. You're talking about after Emory and Henry, but you're running into the really ugly underbelly of people who are racist. I agree. And it got a lot worse a couple of years ago. People, that, that situation at the gas station was at a situation that my family and my uncle did not think was a real issue. And it was, I won't name a president. I won't name what's going on. But at that situation, I started caring a lot more because people felt more comfortable with being incredibly violent and being incredibly racist. And I, when I was six, I was at, I was at a school 
I was at a school in Australia and somebody told me that I shouldn't be there because I was a color, color of and I didn't know what to do. And yeah, how would you know what to do at that age? I was six. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was, when you met me, I was four foot nine and a half. I was tiny. My sister showed up later that day and, and he said that again. And she said, well, if he's a color of uh, Conan, I'm really going to have a tr- have trouble with these words. I know. You said say things. Yeah, so, I did, but yeah. I'm going to have to, I, I do have to probably take that out. That's okay. I don't okay. want to, okay. for people to be offended, except that the offense here is in what's happening to you, not the words. It's not what's used. happening to me. It's what's happened and is happening to me. There's a difference. Now, but you're in the army. We, we oh, hear that army. Do we, do we really want to go there? Yes, we do, because... On some level, the army is has been better at diversity. Teresa, that's do you want to the rumor right? anyway. So, what is your perspective on that? Okay, my first drill, I had some senior people talk to me and ask me if I was a ter- if I was a terrorist. You know, I, after nine eleven, the racism went. It was like a through a the roof yeah. from blacks oh, yeah. to people who are brown from the Middle East whatever. They asked me if I was a terrorist and I said, not today. And then I reached out to people who I knew and it went completely sideways because they thought it was funny and it's clearly not. And that's what some people do is diminish it. They, some people don't understand what a scar that is for you, what, how it hurts, how deeply it hurts. Absolutely. So when it sounds to me like that, when you walk around in, in the world here, that you are constantly just conscious of being a brown person and how that, and is that a burden? Can I change it? No, you clearly can't. Is there, what is the, have you, how do you handle it? It's only a burden if I can change it. If it's not something you can change, then something you live with. What, What are the tricks you've learned to handle it? Have you found a balance between being civil, trying to engage people or being aggressive or I'm always civil. I'm always civil. In those situations, you have to be civil because the odds of things happening to you when you're not civil are so much higher. You have to be civil. You have to be able to make the smile, make the laugh, make the make it seem like it's okay. You have to be able to do that. Otherwise someone's gonna find your body. Conan, you um are currently Buddhist, right? But you were formerly Hindu, which I assume that you grew up in a Hindu society. Yes. And then when the conversion to Buddhism? I found that there's a big difference between religion and tradition. And the issue was that traditionally you would behave a certain way, but religiously you behave a certain way. And if you couldn't find a reason Like in Christianity, if you can't find a reason to be a certain way, it's because you traditionally were taught to be a certain way. And Hinduism has existed 2,000 years before Christianity. It's not a problem. But Buddhism is a way of life, not a religion. Be kind, be gentle, be constructive. There's There's no... explanation or there's no way that you needed to behave to make this work there's no it, it just be good to people it's interesting that you said that when i asked you about buddhism but what about the hindu tradition i 
kind of thought that all the major world religions were about being kind and caring and loving. Christianity's main concept is to create more Christians. To create what? More Christians. Oh, wait. The goal of Christianity Christianity. is to to create more Christians. Buddhism doesn't have that concept. Hinduism has multiple concepts, but depending on how you translate a 4,000-year-old set of information, it can go either way. You can either try and be in that box or not. The only concept of Buddhism is be kind. So you chose Buddhism because of that, but you left Hinduism because? Yeah, because the concept wasn't just be kind. It was be kind if you subscribe to these concepts. And that's not, it's not healthy. Just be kind. Well, you're kind of an expert on world religion, except for Muslim, I guess. No, no, I'm there too. I've read all that too. Well, would you say, isn't Muslim the goal and the ambition is to be kind and to love people? That's where the, that's where the argument comes in, where religion and tradition are different. The religion is definitely be kind. The tradition is a very different concept. In some cases, just like Christianity, in some cases, absolutely. it's absolutely it was- Hinduism, Christianity, the Holy Roman Emperors. I, if you can tell me the first Holy Roman Emperor who wasn't actually bisexual or homosexual, I'd be impressed. I'm not sure I understand all this, and I'm not sure our listeners will be able to follow all of this, Conan, except that you have such a broad experience with religion. And I think, you know, that the sad thing that I'm hearing from you is that that you're experiencing such uh, prejudice and difficulty in a society that is often not kind to black and brown people. It's maybe not kind to lots of people or everybody at some time or the other, but in particular, black and brown people take the brunt of a lot, I, I guess, you know, some people would would say these days or try to say that racism doesn't exist. We really don't have a problem with race in America. And in a oh, nutshell, we have such a problem with race in America. We have such a problem with gender in America. It No, it's huge. I, and yet, Conan, you are in the military. You are in our army. I joined the military. I joined the military to try and change it from the inside. I'll give you an example. I'm a medic. Someone once came to me while we were in a group of 35 of us and said, if we were in a situation where everybody was hurt and I saw some, okay, some Haji MFR, I would not, I would take care of the next soldier I see. To which I said, your job is to take care of everybody you see. And he said, well, not them. And I said, okay, what's, it's a two or three year old. And he said, well, it's still one of it's still a Hodge MF. And I said, Do you know what Hodge means? L-O-U-R-D-E-S. Where is Lourdes? It is part of the pilgrimage that Catholics and Christians go to. Where is what is the Hodge? The Hodge is where you travel to go to Mecca to follow your religion. Don't discard the efforts of the people who are trying to get into religious place where they can be happy and comfortable and do what they believe if you don't understand the language. So just misunderstandings, people who misunderstand or have... No, it's not misunderstanding. Intentional dehumanization, that becomes the problem. 
All right, let's talk a little bit more about what you do in the military. You said you're a medic, but the first time I saw you after graduation, you were dressed in full full dress uniform and you were escorting, you were at a funeral representing the military. I did that for four years. Military funeral honors. Funeral honors. So you did that for four years. Yes, ma'am. I buried people that I knew. I buried people that I barely knew. I had to show up to a friend of mine's drill and identify him because he blew his head off. I buried a lot of people that I knew. What would a what what's a week like for you? It depends on what works like. Do you show up at a base or do you are you always deployed somewhere? It depends on the week. I'm National Guard, so sometimes I'm deployed, sometimes I'm not. You thought you were gonna be deployed to Florida. We we uh were activated, sent to Georgia to go to Florida. The governor decided that we shouldn't go to Florida because it would be problematic to send all of our vehicles to Florida and then have to have them bring back for floods. So we didn't go. So this is the military saying, stand by, you're ready to be deployed. Oops, we were just kidding. Stand by to stand by is the, is the way we live. Conan, it, it sounds like there are a lot of struggles that you've experienced in terms of being a colored person in this country and in the military. And it's really brave of you to talk about that because a lot of times we don't get insight into what people, or at least those of us who are white, Caucasian, it, it's hard for people to understand. And the only way we do understand is when someone is open enough to share with us. And so you are educating me and I hope educating our listeners Is there anything else that you would like to say about your experience with racism in the military? Because I want to move on to maybe some of the positive things. If somebody says, just tell me a little bit about your experience with racism in the military, how would you sum that up? Historically, with me specifically, we have been in a situation where someone will think something as a joke, think something as funny, think something as acceptable to say. And it's everything from comments about brown or black people or comments about women that people seem to think are funny. Robert Heinlein wrote a book and he had to be explained how things were funny because the definition of funny for the most part is mildly offensive, but acceptable. And so I dealt with that before in the military, dealt with that in college, dealt with that after the military. I've had multiple friends of mine deal with that as colored people, as females, as trans people. My best advice about that would be ask why it's funny. And I've had people that I've worked with who say, how is that funny? And who've had my back about that. And whether it's EO or whether it's sexual harassment or whether it's many things, I've had people stand up for me, which I appreciate very much. And I've stood up for people, which I appreciate very much. And they do too. Our justification for something be funny does not actually justify racism or sexism. And that's something I've fought for my entire life. I joined the military in order to change it from the inside, to try and be constructive. And that's my word. That's my word, constructive. Be constructive. There are times when you want to be angry. There are times when people do things that make you angry. 
find a constructive way to work through it. But that's the that's the goal. Be constructive. It's the largest. It's the largest gang in the world. Must be honest. It's the largest gang in the world. You need to make sure they're on your side, have your back, and understand that they are constructive, or you're co-signing something that you probably don't want to co-sign. And I don't want to gloss over anything that you don't think is positive, but are there things that you feel good about and proud about, about being in the military? Absolutely. Yes. I've, I've been in for almost 10, almost 11 years. I know for a fact that if something happened in my life and I needed someone to bail me out, come get me, come help with my family. I don't know a medical response that would help my family or someone that I care about. I know they will have my back. Absolutely. Did you get trained in the military to be a medic? You didn't go to medical school. No, I I, I went to school at Emory. Uh, I'm a double major in mathematology. I went to medic school in the army but I have a lot of medical knowledge that is larger than my (laughs) army medic school information. But the people that I know who are medical, who definitely have more information than me, have always been there for me. Not just for me. If I call one of my docs at three in the morning because one of my soldier's wives called me at two in the morning because their kid fell down the stairs and they're not sure what to do, they're there. Like the military is a big, big gang, but that's not a, always a bad thing. When they tell you we're going to be there and I call them, they'll be there. For example, one of my soldiers recently was not feeling well and he was at a funeral in Greenville, Tennessee. And I called some of my kids who are in the army and said, hey, he needs a, he needs someone to check on him. I'm not sure what's going on. He might need KG. They were there in 30 minutes. So you're proud of that and you're proud of the unity. Oh, are you absolutely. Gonna, are you going to be career military? That's the plan. I joined because I love people and I love taking care of them. My primary function is to take care of people. And I surround myself with people who believe the same. And there are people who don't believe the same. There are people who are racist. There are people who are fine. But I joined for a good reason. And I believe in taking care of people. And I've met tons of people who take care of people. Conan, our time is really up. And I must say, I had said to you when we were planning the interview, I said, we'll talk about your life and we'll talk about real things. And I think we got real, real here today. And I appreciate your being that honest. I hope that it's uh, helpful to you and that you feel good about sharing it. I'm sure that our listeners have been fascinated by your story. I really hope that the conversation has helped people who either want to go into healthcare, which in the U S is a craziness, or go into the military, which also is craziness. But the bottom line is you join because you care of people, not not money, not anything else. You join because you care of people. So hopefully this has helped you, them, everybody about 
understanding where we come from. I thank you once again. My guest today has been Kanan Rasia, born in Singapore, whose family was from Sri Lanka, whereby an acts of fate wound up in Virginia and at Emory Henry College and in the military. And it's I got a- to meet you, Dr. Keller. <laughs> and I got to meet you. And what a joy and gift that has been. Thank you one Thank more time, Conan. And enough. if you missed part of this interview and would like to check it out, you can find it on our podcast. Go to wehcfm.com. Look for podcast. You'll find this conversation. And over the air, you can hear this conversation Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2. Thanks again for joining us. And please stay tuned. Love you, Doc. <laughs> I love you too, Conan.